Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program and for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week at the same time as we dig deeper into the Word of God and uh, we study the Word. You know, the Scripture tells us to study to show yourself approved unto God. And I think so many times we read the Word, but do we really study it? And we're thankful for those of you, uh, you who follow us on a weekly basis or follow our YouTube or our podcast, because I believe we're sharing some things that uh, you can build on. Uh, we have been in a series now for some months where we've been teaching what I call Roadmap to Reformation. And we're teaching from the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and the twelve gates of Nehemiah and what they signify. And we've been teaching from Haggai and Zechariah and Daniel, all of these people who were contemporaries with men like Ezra and Nehemiah, who were leading a people back out of Babylonian captivity and into the city of God and to restore Jerusalem and to restore the temple of God. Uh, what we've been really sharing with you is the contrast in this Reformation of how these Old Testament patterns and pictures really speak to us of fulfillment, first of all, in the life and times of Jesus in the first century, and then with ongoing effects throughout history, it becomes relevant to the church at large in every generation because in the New Covenant we are the temple of God, and in the New Covenant we are the city of God, the bride, the Lamb's wife, or the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. We are the Zion of God according to Galatians 4 and according to Hebrews chapter 12, that the Zion of God that He speaks of in the New Covenant is New Testament, uh, New Covenant believers. He declares in Hebrews 12, For you have not come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to fear and trembling, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the, and to the city of the living God and to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. And to a blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried for vengeance and revenge, but the blood of Jesus Christ, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, last week, uh, I believe it was in the last four weeks before that, we dealt with the restoration of the sheep gates. Of the sheep gate, I'm sorry. We have covered several of these gates, and what we're teaching is how these gates give you access to something that's in the midst of the city of God. Something that gives you access to what's in the temple of God. I don't want to take a lot of time to review except to say that, you know, uh, we've made a comparison between this Old Testament city of God and its reformation and restoration. And we've made a comparison with Revelations chapter 16 through about 22 where he talks about, John said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Message Bible says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home in men. He's their God, they're His people. And uh, so that's a power. God has moved into the neighborhood. And when God moves in the neighborhood, He revives stones out of heaps. And He rears back in Revelation 21 and says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And the new covenant is about the ongoing work of God to bring about the fullness of new creation. And then he tells them that the city of God is coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And we shared so many times out of, especially uh, Revelation 3 said to him that overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. And so he declares very clearly when you compare Scripture with Scripture that the city of God is not a place, it's a people. It's a city built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's built on apostolic doctrine. It's built on the foundation of the declaration of the apostles of, uh, of the Lamb, of Paul, Peter, and these apostles. The church is built on that foundation. And we continue to see that city coming down from God out of heaven because the city of God is not where you go when you die. That's not a description of heaven in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a description of God's new creation, uh, uh, people of God. It's a description of what He's still in the process of doing, bringing it down from God out of heaven because it's supposed to affect something in the earth. And I, I just feel such an importance of emphasis on this in this season that we're living in because Revelation declares that there's a river that flows out of the city. And when you see this river flowing out of the city, it's flowing from a lamb, a slain lamb, in the midst of a throne, and that river produces a tree of life. That tree is on both sides of the river, both sides of the river. Not just the other side of the river, but this side of the river. And the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. And in this season we're living in, if there's ever been a time when we must begin to declare a message that brings some healing to the nations. What a day uh, when the church, this ought to be our finest hour that in the midst of a dark season that there is a tree that heals the nations. And you know, it goes on to describe this city in Revelation 21 and 22, and it tells you that outside this city are dogs and whoremongers and whoever loves and makes a lie. So that cannot simply be talking about heaven. It has to be talking about the community of faith that's a city set on a hill that ought to be a light and salt to the earth that should be declaring something and releasing something in the earth that brings healing to the nations with a gospel of peace. You know, I'm reminded, and I'm not getting as far as I wanted to here this morning, but I'm reminded of, you know, when Jesus came before Pilate, he said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But thou therefore my kingdom is not of this world. But because his kingdom is not of this world does not mean it's not for this world. As a lamb he uh, came to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth in the midst of great uh, Roman occupation, in the midst of religious upheaval, in the midst of a time of great chaos. When the early church was being birthed, his way of dealing with violence is not by saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If we go back to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we're all going to be blind and toothless pretty soon. But Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, 
to turn the other cheek, and he begins to talk about loving your neighbor and loving your enemies. And what happens is, is when you love your enemies, it stops it from going on for another generation. Because what happens is, retaliation and revenge continues to perpetuate cycle after cycle, generation after generation. If there's an us against them, uh, then there's always going to be a fight. But as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth, and he took in himself, even though he was right. He opened not his mouth and became obedient to the death of the cross. And because he refused to pass on the hatred and retaliation to the next generation, he became king, and he rules and reigns not through violence and through uh, hatred, but through love and for laying down his life to others. Because what happens when you stop perpetuating, what is it the proverb says? If you don't put wood on the fire, the fire will go out. If you stop poking the bear, you know, I, I, I'm not getting where I, I wanted to here this morning, but I think one time some of the, th- some of the things that are thoughts that have passed through my mind even this morning is that, you know, we are famous in the church for what we're against, but we don't know what we're for. And I think it's time that the church should not become famous for what we're against, but famous for what we're for. Famous for loving people, famous for helping those who are in need, uh, famous for walking in forgiveness and love and acceptance, and famous for, in other words, it's not about all of our doctrines and rules and regulations of what we think people should do and how they ought to behave and how we could legislate things that would make people act the way we want them to act. I want you to know that only the Holy Spirit can change hearts. You can pass all the laws you want, but the laws can only change behavior. Only grace and the Holy Spirit can change the hearts. I'm calling people to that place of coming to the Lamb of God, where there is a river that flows from the city of God and heals everything. Over the last week, uh, several weeks, we've talked about the sheep gate. We're going to try to get to the fish gate over the next couple of weeks. But the sheep gate that we talked about already, we found out in John 10 that Jesus said, I am the door into the sheepfold, and all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And so uh, that was the only gate that was sanctified, because the only entrance in to the kingdom of God is through the door and through the gate, which is none other than the sheep gate, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd of the sheep, and He is the, the, as David the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, uh, if you go back and look at some of the history of those shepherds in the days of David, they would literally have a place where they would fence the sheep in at night to protect them, and they would, the shepherd of the sheep would lay in front of the door saying to any wolf or anything that was trying to get to the sheep, if you're going to get to them, you've got to go through me first. Oh, that ought to comfort somebody today that Jesus is laying at the door, and He's saying, if you're going to get to my people, you're going to have to get to me first. And the reality of it is, is that He is the good shepherd of the sheep. And we talked about the only way into the covenants of promise is through the door, which is Jesus. There's not a bunch of ways in, there's only one way in. Now I'm going to come back this morning or today, and I want to begin reading in Nehemiah the third chapter because we're going to progress beyond the sheep gate, and today we're going to talk about the fish gate. Now let me just say, first of all, the first thing that hits my mind when I think about the fish gate is evangelism. It speaks of evangelism. 
and bringing in fishers of men. Uh, so I'm going to read first of all from Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. It said, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even to the tower of Mia. And they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next unto them builded Zachar the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And the next unto him repaired Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Koz. And the next unto him repaired Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezabel. And next unto him repaired Zadok, the son of Bena. And the next unto him the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work. And we, that's probably about all the further we're going to get in this series over the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about the fish gate. You know, I think it is incredible that we see even how the names of the people that were working on uh, these sections of the wall and these sections of the gate. And you know, we shared in prior segments, I think when I had my pastor on uh, back several months back where uh, she was talking about, you need to find your family on the wall and build something redemptive. And so when you start seeing families on the wall, you know, it really speaks strongly to me of the need of the greater vision of just having me in mind and me and Jesus got our own thing going because this revelation of the reformation of this temple and this city begin to show you that there's a function that every person in the body of Christ ought to, ought to find their place in the body. Everyone has a function. I'm not saying you can't go to heaven uh, if you're all by yourself or all alone, but I think that people find purpose when they realize that we are joints of supply, and that in this body every joint supplies something. I say to all of our senior friends, especially who are watching probably today this program, and you may even be shut in, or you may even be in a uh, a nursing home somewhere, and you feel like you have no purpose anymore. Let me tell you something. I covet the prayers of people who are intercessors and prayer warriors and that pray and believe God for ministries like us and that believe God and pray for their families and believe God and make intercession on behalf. I'm telling you, you still have a vital role, and I really pray that people begin to realize the value of the wisdom even of the gray hair people in their lives who sometimes when you're young you think these people don't have a clue but the older you get the smarter you think they are. I remember thinking when I was in my teenage years my dad just don't have a clue, my mom just don't know anything but the older I get the more I find out they knew some things and I wished I'd have paid more attention to the wisdom that they imparted to us but they, you must find your place on the wall. And as part of something that's redemptive, just the function sometimes of someone walking up to a pastor and encouraging him after a sermon, or speaking to someone in the congregation, or picking up the telephone and calling that child or that senior citizen or that person who's ill and said, I got you on my mind today, or just that little text message that you send that encourages somebody, say, hey, I had you on my mind on my heart today, just want you to know I'm praying for you. Well, I don't think we realize the impact and value that brings to people 
those of you who use, uh, you know, uh, social media for good things and not so much to fight and feud, but, you know, to really be able to share some things with people. Those are valuable tools for finding your place on the wall to build something redemptive. But as I looked at even the names of these um, people that were building on the wall, it said that they sanctified the sheep gate. It was sanctified and set the doors of it, even under the tower of Mia, and they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. Now Hananiel's name means the gift of God or the grace of God uh, or, or God's place of favor. Uh, the sheep gate was the first which speaks of Jesus in the door of the sheepfold, and it went to the tower of Mia, which means the tower of the 100. I think that's interesting. The message here is that grace builds, grace builds from the beginning of your salvation until you reach 100-fold. And Jesus talked about in the, in the Scripture that the seed of the kingdom, when it is sown, it brings forth some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And I want to tell you, I've never got to the place where I'm beyond uh, the uh, where I'm beyond the need of the grace of God. And so, you know, I, I, I just want you to understand that it's the grace of God. You know, I heard somebody talking the other day, and they were talking about the age of grace is about to end. I, I just beg to differ with that, because the, the book of Ephesians said that in the ages to come, that He will show the, the riches of His grace and His mercy and His kindness toward us. And so I'm going to tell you that grace is not just a doctrine, Grace is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And when he, the very first message that Jesus preached, when He stood up in the temple, He said, Go get me the book of Isaiah. And He found the place where He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because He's anointed me to preach the gospel. And, and, and He goes on to say, to, to The recovery of sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the, that are bruised, and to declare the year of the favor of our God. I want you to know that uh, the Lamb came to declare favor to us. Grace was released in the New Covenant. Now let me tell you something again. Grace is not greasy. And grace is not just a doctrine. Grace is a person, and it is, and, and it is that unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor that empowers you to live the Christian life. Uh, Titus says this. He said, For the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. So it is the grace of God that builds and leads to, and it's even the grace of God that brings us in to the fish gate, because we are saved by faith through grace, and that, not of yourself, it is the gift of God. You cannot earn salvation. It is the free gift that's given, and it is the free gift of His favor that gives that to us, that we might, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, be able to reign in life. And so He built to the tower of 100, which means the hundredfold. So it's the grace of God that starts the journey at the sheep gate. It's the grace of God that works in my life on a daily benefit every day of my life. I lean on the grace and, and the mercy of God. 
And I believe that as we see that, it starts, you know, grace, probably an understanding of grace was one of the greatest things that brought maturity in my life than anything else that I preached. It goes on to talk about the people that built next unto him, built, uh, uh, next unto him built the men in Jericho, and next to them built Zachar the son of Emery. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Now Hassanah, his name means elevated to the idea of lifting up. That's what Hassanah's name means. So he built Hassanah, uh, the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah built. So his name means uh, to be elevated or through the idea of bif- being lifted up. The very first thing that hit my mind as I thought about the fish gate, and I thought about the meaning of Hassanah, which means to be lifted up, as I thought where Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. That's not a praise and worship scripture there. We use that so out of context so many times. We get in the service and say, come on folks, let's lift the Lord up tonight. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That's like saying, come on, let's crucify the Lord again this evening. That verse is not about praise and worship. It's about what death he would die. And it also means, Hassanah also means thorny or the thorn hedge. The idea behind this name is that Jesus is the one who was lifted up to redeem us from the curse of having to earn our salvation. He was crowned, as I'm just reading from my notes and I'll come back and say a few things about it. He was crowned with a crown of thorns to redeem us from having to earn our bread from the sweat of our brow. Remember the earth was cursed to bring forth thorns and thistles and thus you would have to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. That's why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane until He sweated. He sweated until He bled. And when one drop of blood from the divine brow touched the cursed earth, it put the curse in reverse that says, you have to earn this. I'm telling you, Jesus was lifted up to bring you to the fish gate where it's thrown wide open to catch a drought of men and to invite whosoever will can come and receive the gift of salvation. Jesus is not going to save you in the future. He already saved you. It's how you appropriate what He's already done in His redemptive work that you receive by faith, the free gift of salvation and the redemption that's ours through the blood of Jesus because He was lifted up. Uh, when, When one drop of blood from the divine brow touched the earth, it put the curse in reverse. He is now making us fishers of men, not of the old paradigm of the law, but through the new covenant grace of God as we follow behind the former gate, which is the sheep gate. And then as Genesis chapter 126 says that God gave man dominion over fish, fowl, and creeping things. And I know that he was talking about the natural creation of the elements of the world, but I believe as believers in Christ, we have the power to call in the fishes from all over and to to catch a drought of fishes because I believe we have dominion over fish. And I believe that God is going to cause the abundance of the sea to be converted unto us as we begin to declare the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. And once again, I believe as we start to see that Hassan's name, the one who built to this fish gate, speaks of the one who was lifted up and the one who redeems us from the curse because of the favor and the grace of God 
is that we start to see people respond to the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. Romans 1 says, For the goodness of God leadeth men to repent. It's His favor. When you see how good God is, you can't help. I don't know how you can resist His love. But i got just a few more minutes left in this segment. I want to say this as well. You know, one of the things that I want to say very clearly is, one of the things that in the New Covenant we've been redeemed from, is we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus being made a curse for us, for it is written, Blessed or cursed is He who hangs on a tree. So He took all of the curse that was upon us, and the book of Colossians says, He took that handwriting of ordinance that was against us and nailed it to the cross. And you know what that says to me is, and I want to declare this plainly because I think that we get such a mixture sometimes in preaching. Uh, You've got people everywhere trying to get you redeemed from generational curses and from the curse of Adam and from this curse and that curse. I, I want to tell you something as a believer. You are not under a curse or under any shape, fashion, or form. As a matter of fact, the only way in the new covenant you could put people under the curse is to put them back up under the law. Paul said that if you are of the works of the law, you are still under a curse. So the only way you could put yourself under a curse is to put yourself back under an old covenant law, and that you know that if if you uh, if you're of the works of the law, you are under a curse. Even where it talks about, you know, they use the Scripture a lot of times out of Jeremiah that the sins of the fathers are visited unto the third and fourth generations. But in that very same text that they use to preach generational curses, the prophet Jeremiah speaks concerning the new covenant, and he said, they will no longer say, the children have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every man shall answer for his own iniquity. Let me tell you something that happened on the cross that redeemed you from the curse of the sour grapes, of of the sins of the fathers being visited to the third and fourth generation. It was on Calvary's cross when Jesus was hanging, suspended between the heavens and the earth, that He cried with a loud voice and He said, I thirst. And at that moment, when he cried, I thirst, they brought him a cup of vinegar and hyssop and gave him to drink. I want you to know that vinegar and hyssop was sour grapes. Ah, this this blesses me. I want you to know that Jesus took the cup of suffering and drank every last drop of it so that on Calvary's cross he was redeeming you from the curse of the law and bringing you back into a freedom. I'm telling you the fish gate is open, and if you feel like you are unworthy or unqualified, you are invited in on the grace and the mercy of God and nothing more. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. Won't you enter that gate today? Well, we're just about out of time in this segment, but if you would like to sow into this ministry to help us stay on the air, uh, please take a moment and go to our website. There's an easy way to give there via credit card at our PayPal. You can set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a partner, or you can call the number on the screen and someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, just leave a message. They will return your call. 
or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. But we need your help. Do something today to be a part of the gospel of grace. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.